Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hi, this is Kevin McHugh, and I'm here with another episode of Sheer Clarity, the leadership podcast that helps teach leaders to become leaders by attraction. I've shared a lot about that on prior episodes, so I'm going to get right to this episode. Today's episode is part three of a three-part series, and I directed this series to the topic of diversity and inclusion. Uh, The first part was called The Power of Learning Your Own Heart Story. The second, part two last week, was about learning how you can understand another person's heart story. And here in part three, I entitled it The Power of Learning the Biggest Story. To summarize my thesis, if you will, or what I'm going for, is we spend a lot of time in the big picture trying to solve a lot of our challenges of diversity and inclusion with studies, commissions, programs, and uh, oodles and oodles of training and awareness exercises. And it's a hot topic in anyone in corporate leadership who has not understood, embraced, and leaned forward into all of this information and understanding about diversity and inclusion. If you ignore that, you do so at your peril. I just decided I wanted to come at this from what I've learned from humans generally, and generally all connections that are formed at the heart, especially at vulnerability, Those are connections that actually transcend and cut through so many of the labels, identities, and differences we find. I've actually done this in a Fortune 500 company. I worked with MasterCard about a year and a half ago, and I put people into small groups and gave them that uh, handout that I shared with you last week and had them share their stories. And we had evidence directly of how well that worked. But today, there's one other way of taking a look at yourself and your own heart. And instead of doing it from the inside and trying to understand your life and your heart space and where it sings and where it cries, I also wanted you to answer another question, which is, so what is the context in which your heart is operating? In other words... While your heart exists and while you navigate life, trying to keep your heart from breaking too much, trying to repair it, trying to heal it, trying to make it available to others, that process of you being human is happening in a much bigger picture. And that is the biggest story of all. It's the story of humankind. And the story of humankind is an important story for you to really give some deep thought about because you exist in that story. You are a part of that story and you are the part of a story today. And that story is a really long story, a long history of humankind and our existence here. So right now I wanted to give you an idea of how to look at the biggest story, how to use the questions about the biggest story 
in order for you to actually see your story. So as you evaluate your own heart, work with the heart of another human, the two of you as humans can sort of keep in mind this big, big picture. One thing that comes to mind that differentiates us from all the other creatures, right? A fish can be swimming through the ocean and absolutely have no way to comprehend the magnitude of the ocean, the size and scope of it. That is not true for us. We have that capacity. And what I believe is happening because of the speed of change and the amount of stimuli and our general levels of busyness and activity, we rarely spend time reflecting not only on our hearts and the interior, we don't reflect on the magnitude of humankind and all the hearts, 7 billion of them here just on the planet Earth and who knows where else. But what I want you to do is understand that if you're going to think and comprehend and understand your heart story, you would do so to better look at the big picture. And for one reason, once you comprehend the magnitude of our existence, I think it can lead to something that is a heart characteristic that is useful in the world, and that would be a humble heart. In other words, to comprehend the magnitude, the size of the ocean in which we swim would be helpful to us to understand how small we are. I want to give you an introduction to the worldview the worldview questions. Everyone, everyone has some worldview. What is that? It's just your theory of the world and it's your theory that you use to live in it. And if you haven't given it much thought, and I don't know that many people do, you're missing an amazing opportunity to give yourself an avenue to a more humble heart. When you are in a position of humility, you're, and by definition, it, to me, it's placing the needs of other people ahead of your own. And when you come into the world with energy like that, it is unbelievably loving, open, and accepting. And with that framework, even those who are most different from you, you can find a way to connect and to care about them. And you can do so without ever letting go of your own values. Right now, we're in a war of values. We're in a war for a culture. And there are two very distinct competing ways of looking at it. And one is that we're horrible creatures and there's all sorts of horrible things coming from us, in particular in this diversity and inclusion conversation, everything from racism, systemic racism. We have a whole new vocabulary we had to create in order to have a variety of identities. The more we get, the more the chances for someone's identity to be offended and not accepted. And it's just the world we play in. But I think if you step back after you've done your interior work, if you step back and ask this big picture question about nature of existence and what you believe caused it and the nature of purpose and meaning just for your life alone and where you're headed and why you're headed in that direction, 
you have to ask the other worldview questions around morality, which is good and bad and right and wrong. And that leads us to an understanding, are there forces beyond our comprehension in the physical realm that may also lead to the ideas of evil and good? And then finally, of course, we do have a fundamental reality we're all sharing, which is we are going to die at some point. Just to give you a frame of reference on existence, just picture the magnitude of the ocean that you and I have been swimming in. Here it is in a fast and rapid way. The scientists agree the universe started with something that they called the Big Bang, was a hot millisecond moment into which matter and energy exploded, and it's been exploding outward ever since. 14 billion years is the age they give to the universe today. The planet Earth, four and a half billion years. From the standpoint of the tangle of our early ancestry to the primates, the first upright creatures, they think that's about six million years ago. And then if you take a look at us as Homo sapiens and the beginning of that whole species of which we ended up dominant, we ended up surviving. There are other versions and names. I don't have them all in front of me, but it, they figure somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000 years ago is when this began. And now we get to how old is a civilization, a society that emerges where we began to cooperate and collaborate and collect into larger and larger groups where we shared resources and no longer were we just fighting saber-toothed tigers to survive. We were actually melting metals and we were actually creating and we are actually building, we were actually farming and we absolutely created this idea of being able to think and comprehend and reason. And civilization is five to 6,000 years old. And right now, that's a powerful way of looking at ourselves. So that in terms of 14 billion years from the beginning to now, the last 6,000 is when we really got rolling. And then if you take the speed and rate of change and you fast forward to the 1800s, that gave rise to the industrial age. And that's just 200 years ago. And here we are today. I mentioned this in the prior podcast, just to give you an idea. We used to be using rotary phones and just one kind of car and stumbling along. And here we are today. I set a data point. The iPhone you have in your hands, the speed and computing power is estimated to be 200,000 times greater than the computing power and speed that we used in 1969 to land a man on the moon. I was 16 years old when that happened. That is the context that is the ocean of existence in which you and I are talking right now. And I also want you to picture this again for context. I looked it up. The average life expectancy of a person in the United States is 78 to 79 years. So we get to live on average 80 years, give or take, and we are nothing but a tiny nanosecond on the face of existence. And that to me humbles me and brings me right down to my core. 
And I ask the questions about all meaning, all existence, where it came from, how it got here, my purpose in it, my place in it. How do I choose right and wrong? And how do I even answer the fact that I'm going to die? What happens then? That is, in essence, a worldview in a nutshell. In that springs off into a thousand directions, all sorts of value systems and belief systems, of which there are 18 identifiable world religions. So we have a number of questions to answer about magnitude and scope. And I think one of the big ones, the great starting point is what is real? What is reality? And if we look down at ourselves and say, this is all there is, so be it. It takes us into the world of humanism and materialism. It's the place where you'll find an atheistic viewpoint, the non-God option, scientific reductionism. It essentially says, I'm it, we're it, and whatever we decide goes, and we don't answer to anything beyond ourselves, and when we die, we're done. And the choices and decisions that we make today are going to be driven by whatever tribal instincts, survival instincts, and the like. I can't wade into the waters of the arguments of one atheism versus theism on this podcast. I want you to be thinking about it, like, what do you believe? I will, in the future, do a podcast on the worldview that I hold. It's based on a Christian worldview. For now, I'm more interested in having you comprehend in your own mind when you sit in the quiet reflection of your own space, how did I come to be here? Why me? Why now? And why do I even exist? Where am I going? And why am I going there? What's driving me? I find it's essential. If you feel overwhelmed by it, that would be a good response. It's a response that suggests you comprehend the magnitude of this big scheme that we're all working in. And when that happens, I would hope that you begin to feel a sense that we are very, very small. But we also have something else. We also have a sense there's something uniquely about us that continues to look upwards, that continues to look outwards. We do have some sense there is something more. Just to give you an idea of, of something that I came across during my research for this, there was a song that was written in 1969, ironically, the same year we place a man on the moon. Imagine the human endeavor of even doing that. Imagine why humans would even like comprehend, hey, here's a good idea, Chuck. Let's, uh, let's do a plan. Let's make a rocket and let's go out and uh, fire it up and we'll put a couple of men in a tiny little capsule. We'll invent the first ever thing that's going to detach and go down and land on the moon. And then we're going to take our little human bodies, wrap them up in a space suit and uh, jump into the powdery dust of the moon surface. Well, of course, that is mankind at its best. That is mankind applying its incredible skills of creativity and innovation, not to mention its amazing spirit of adventure. And there are enormous technology advances that are a direct function 
of us having this adventure, exploratory uh, nature about us. But here's a song that came out the same year, and the title of the song is called, Is That All There Is? And it's an interesting song. It was sung by Peggy Lee, and it actually has verses that she reads more of as a narrative and then sort of sings the chorus. But I'll break it down for you. In the beginning of the song, she says, I was a very little girl and my house caught on fire. And she won't forget the look on her father's face when he picked her up in her arms and ran through the burning building. And she stood there in her pajamas and watched the whole thing go up in flames. And when it was over, she said to herself, is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? And if that's all there is, my friends, let's keep dancing, break out the booze, and have a ball. Well, that's an encounter with disaster. And her answer there was to the question, is that all there is? I don't know. Let's dance and drink and try to forget it. We'll have a good time. When she's 12, her father takes her to a circus and she marvels at the great circus show, the big elephants, the dancing bears, and the pink lady in tights that flew high above her heads. And there's the wonder of this world, a child looking up in amazement and the magnificence and the spectacle of it. And then still asking the question And the lyric of the song says, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but when it was over, I said to myself, is that all there is to a circus? That kind of gets at the point I was making. When we comprehend magnitude, there is something that calls out to us. In the song, it was something missing. My thing is, I think her heart was actually reaching out to, is there something else if you ever stood on any nature beauty scenery, whether it was in the mountains, looking over the Grand Canyon, looking over a waterfall, or just being on a local walk in, in your own park and woods, and it was just you and nature and the birds and, and the sounds, we all have an experience where we will feel something just almost spiritual. She goes on in the song after disaster and after wonder, she gets at the broken heart and she talks about falling in love. And then eventually this love leaves her. And that was it. She thought she was going to die. And she kept asking, is that all there is to love? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? And then she ends the song. If that's the way I feel, in other words, is that all there is? Then why don't I just die and end it all? And in the song, she says, I'm in no hurry for the final disappointment, for I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, when the final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is? And if that's all there is, let's keep dancing, break out the booze, and have a ball. Well, I can tell you that's only one approach. I don't find it a very hopeful approach. I don't find it a very good approach at all. On one hand, she said, if all this is all it is, and then why don't I just end it? And she says, well, I don't know. That would be a disappointment. She doesn't answer the question, well, why would that be a disappointment? If that's all there is, why do you keep going on living? So I think from my standpoint, and I think from the standpoint I'd like you to consider, 
is that in answering the worldview questions of how and what and why did existence become and how did it start and what is my purpose and place in it and what is it I'm using to decide the right from the wrong? Is there such a thing as God? Is there good and evil? You know, if you want to answer the question about evil, you don't have to look too far. You could go back in history and hear story after story of what humans have done to each other, some of it horrific, with some moments in history where single individuals have been responsible for the slaughter of millions and millions of other human beings. But to be honest with you, if you look at this last year, if you look down your own street, the signs of something malevolent are all around us. And with that, if that's all there is, it would be certainly questionable as to why I would keep on going, which leads me to a final part of this conversation about the biggest story and the reason I want you to think about it. Hope is the one thing that will keep a human going. And the question I have after you've answered the questions of existence and purpose and morality and destiny, ultimately death, what is the hope that you have? Where do you hold your hope? I alluded to my sense of that as a Christian worldview, which I can share later. But right now, I have a hope. That hope is what sustains me as I watch the world around me, as I try to encounter one human to one human, as I search my own heart and my own heart story. I try to unravel and understand the parts I play in contributing to the issues. I take ownership of my own shame and my own wounds and my own past, and I try to make sense of it. I certainly bring that forward when I try to care about another human being, even one I don't agree with. And I try to hold firm to those things that are valuable to me. I have made decisions about right and wrong. I have a source that I believe is an objective truth for me. That is God. And then I also have a sense of what happens with my destiny or my death. For me, I have my hope outside of what's happening here in this world. What's your hope? What are you holding on to? What are your answers to these big, gigantic worldview questions? Have you taken the time just to research the possibilities? Have you taken the time to comprehend the magnitude of your existence? You and I, God willing, live 78, 80, maybe we make it to 90. While we're here, what keeps you going, especially when it's hard, Everyone was tested this last year and a half with COVID. Everyone is tested in the political climate. Everyone is tested in a workplace where the diversity and inclusion topic is in our face and on fire. What are we doing by ourselves, one human to one human at a time, to continue to believe in us, to continue to have hope? What is the source of your hope? What is the source of why you will be good and kind and caring and never betray your own values and beliefs? 
can we learn to agree to disagree and care for each other, no matter what the difference is? That is how I'd like to end this third episode. I want anyone listening to think about what the power of comprehending the biggest story can do. It's meant to bring you hope. It's meant to bring you humility. It's meant to poise you and position you to fight back against hatred and division and to conquer all the things we need in a world of diversity where feelings of inclusion and acceptance are essential, even while we're assaulted during the culture. We are absolutely good humans, and we should fight to stay that way. That is how I'll end today's episode. I thank you for listening. I will see you again next week with another episode of Sheer Clarity. You can find it at sheerclarity.com. I hope the series has helped you. I hope it has illuminated, made you think, even if I riled you up, that's good too, because my heart was coming at it from love and care. So I hope it worked. I'm going to put on the website a PDF. It is my worldview exercise. It will give you the worldview questions. It'll give you an article that I found on what a worldview is, what it does, and how it works. And it has an awesome chart that will just lay out for you, starting at the top, what you believe about what is real. And what do you believe about the nature of a higher authority? And it'll take you through the conversation. That's it. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.